For all the science to satisfy your gut, Deerland brings you Digestible, a podcast breaking down the trends of the nutraceuticals industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Digestible, a Deerland probiotics and enzymes podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of Digestible. We're excited to bring you some industry thought leadership around shifts in trends, technologies, and strategies for the probiotic industry. As you're listening to today's episode of the podcast, make sure that you're heading to our website, Deerland.com. Again, Deerland.com for more information on some of the various topics we'll be breaking down today. And make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast, Digestible, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new ones. So on today's episode, we're aiming to better understand how a healthy gut impacts children's health specifically. As we'll break down on the podcast, some research over the last several years has not only revealed how much gut health is tied to overall health, but also how useful probiotics can be for a child's ecosystem of wellness. So with our conversation, we're going to be breaking down how the probiotic market has adapted over the years to meet the needs of children, how a healthy gut shapes children's health, and we're going to offer some strategies for effective and efficacious clinical trials and product designs for children's probiotics today. So for insights, we're joined today by John Deaton. He's VP of Science and Technology at Deerland, as well as Dr. Yerne Dolinchek. He's serving in the Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition Unit for the University Medical Center Maribor. John, great to have you on. How are you doing? Doing great. Excited to be here. Yeah, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you again. And Dr. Dolinchek, thank you for joining us as well. How are you? Yeah, very well. I'm very far away, but then still we are <laughs> here in the same room together. So I'm really glad to be here. That's the magic of technology. I love uh, being able to bring folks from disparate sides of the world to discuss something that affects us all and that really has an international impact with a market like this. So, yes, Dr. Dolinchek, thank you again for joining us. It's going to be a pleasure chatting with both you and John. So I want to start by giving a timeline here of uh, how the market has or hasn't adapted to uh, providing solutions for children specifically. So in the history of probiotics development, how much of the market is tailored around creating products for children? Uh, is this a common aspect of the market or has this been a more recent rising trend? Break that down for us. Give us that timeline. I think uh, from my experience, and again, I'm more in the science and technology area versus the marketing uh, area, but uh, you, you've seen, uh, obviously, children are a very big um, uh, market and emphasis uh, for the health of children is very important. And you see that going all the way back to the Flintstone uh, uh, vitamins and, and things like that. Uh, but uh, I think there's been quite a few hurdles in, in being able to provide a nutritional supplement uh, or a healthy um, 
supplements to children in a form that they would be uh, that they're uh, going to take uh, routinely, and and that's been a, one of the big hurdles. And, and you're seeing that that's actually becoming less of a hurdle because uh, there's definitely some new uh, forms out there. And one of the biggest ones, of course, is gummies. Uh, that now uh, children are excited to actually take their supplements, to take their vitamins and minerals and things like that, and their probiotics. And so uh, different uh, delivery forms has really helped uh, uh, in creating excitement and, uh, and uh, uh, providing an outlet so the children are going to actually uh, want to take the product. And so uh, I do see that, and it's also uh, basically, uh, as the science has advanced, we're now seeing that uh, things that uh, in the past where we did a lot of research, and it's been mainly on uh, adults, um, ages, you know, 18 to 65, et cetera, uh, and you're starting to see uh, that that emphasis is now going toward the children, and you're seeing that uh, not just what can help me in digestion, what can help me in immunity, but what can help me actually develop my microbiome, uh, what uh, can help diversify my microbiome and things that actually can, uh, uh, that are necessary for when you're first starting out, when you're first developing, um, so that when you do um, get older, uh, that uh, you're much healthier. Uh, and we've seen that what you start out with greatly influences how you end up in terms of your overall health. And if, if I can add here as well, I think there was a lot of research about uh, effect of our microbiome, microbiota, our let's say intestinal flora as it used to uh, be called uh, in children because we know or we suspected initially that our gut was sterile uh, after birth and then whatever we bring in, whatever we eat and then we develop the, this microbiome further can be uh, really helping us in our future life. So there was a lot of studies about that and I think there were a lot of studies about how we can modify that microbiome and how we can then help in certain disease states and especially I think here uh, in our settings many probiotics were firstly used in children or mostly used in children for many different uh, reasons mostly of course for gastrointestinal disease but it, it has a long tradition and I think it's uh, uh, right now uh, childhood uh, use of many medications it's in trouble because you for ethical reasons cannot really test a lot of drugs in children initially so we very much rely right now on adult studies and on tests being done in adults but a market in in pediatric uh, population it's big because our children are really getting sick a lot especially in early ages with gastrointestinal disease and respiratory infections uh, there certainly is a need uh, for help and and probiotics seem to be addressing this issue. So let's do a little compare and contrast then on the value of a solution like this for, I guess we'll just kind of split the demographics into a binary, children and adults. Uh, how do probiotics interact differently with children compared to grown adults, you know, let's say 18 plus? And how has this shaped the development of probiotics? Is there actually a, a bodily difference in how the body engages with and interacts with probiotics when you're a child versus an adult? Give us that uh, scientific distinction. If I, I can start here, it's yeah, the gut is gut and it has to be functional very early. Just after the birth, it has to consume, of course, hopefully mother's milk, but it is something that will uh, be 
you know, ongoing for our whole life. So eating and uh, with this um, interference with outside world, the microbiome has to really adapt quickly. And I, I would assume that maybe very early childhood can be a slightly different uh, or children can react slightly differently because their immune system is still growing so there are windows of opportunity within which you get acquainted with different let's say antigens and microbiome microbiota these are uh, potential uh, uh, even pathogens but they are certainly antigens and and it will uh, then shape up our immune system so very early it has to change but then at certain age i would say it's much earlier than 18 which is arbitrary age for being an adult i think biologically we are being adults maybe just after we can have our own children this distinguishes children from adults once you can have your own children i guess biologically you are then no not children child anymore so uh, within this very early uh, age you have to really adapt and become an adult and it has to really uh, adapt very quickly and our immune system at that time is growing our uh, neural system of our intestine it does develop so it, this is very important the interplay within uh, the gut between immune cells with uh, what we ingest including the living organisms and our neural system so this has to really be harmonized and it has to run in harmony if we want to protect uh, certain disease states or let's say uh, disbalances and some of these uh, these balances occur because uh, we are and children are faced with many microorganisms that have never been with them before uh, after maternal immunoglobulins uh, vanish then they have to fight uh, pathogens themselves and it's very important that we build up or let's say uh, make this immune system local immune system in the gut very powerful and very very careful what to let in what to let out but it will certainly get in touch with pathogens and in this respect we have to be careful what uh, our gut is exposed to and if it is exposed to good things it's much better for a child if uh, on the other hand uh, they will be exposed to bad uh, microbiota or microbes then certain disease states will come and these are acute let's say infections but in the long term we also have to be careful about the uh, let's say chronic immune diseases which also are certainly stemming from the early childhood and maybe also from imbalances in this gut ev uh, evolution uh, with time yeah excellent point uh to me in terms of uh uh children uh the focus uh as he said, uh, definitely early on, it's a little bit more uh, malleable in terms of the, the microbiome. But as you age, uh, you're starting, you, you sort of get a set microbiome. And of course, that microbiome has huge influences on um, how you operate your day to day, as well as uh, in children, uh, the gut brain uh, helping like uh, producing butyric acid, things like that are very important. Uh, that can even go as far as uh, memory and um 
uh, and learning and, and things like that, as well as energy uh, for the child uh, so that they're uh, awake in class, etc. I mean, there's a lot of things that your, your gut uh, plays a role in, uh, as well as uh, early development being able to uh, even digest uh, certain um, things like gluten, for instance. Uh, there's actually uh, some research out there that shows uh, that when you're not able to digest gluten uh, very efficiently, uh, those peptides that if they hang around, they linger, they can cause uh, disruptions in the epithelial cell lining, the gap junctures, etc., and that can lead to gluten sensitivity or even uh, celiac. Um, and so being able to have a, a balanced microbiome, a healthy microbiome that can uh, help your body uh, in various functions, such as, as he mentioned, immunity, as well as digestion in other areas, I think is very key in developing and having a very good ratio because um, as the doctor mentioned, you're constantly consuming uh, many different types of microorganisms, bacteria, yeast, etc. Um, and you want a, um, the ratio, usually there's a ratio, you have some unwanted bacteria, uh, some unwanted microorganisms in your gut, uh, but you want that to be uh, controlled and having a much larger population of good bacteria, good microorganisms there, which again, that's where uh, probiotics can play a very vital role um, so that, uh, that you are keeping things suppressed as well as keeping things balanced and healthy um, and so I think that that's very important early on uh, that you have a good uh, ratio uh, or a, a, a positive ratio of good bacteria over unwanted uh, and then that good bacteria a diversified uh, set of bacteria uh, or microorganisms uh, that can provide a whole host of ranges uh, of benefits uh, such as uh, essential amino acids, uh, bioactive peptides, um, uh, priming the immune system and things like that. Um, so yes, I, I think that's very important for children uh, and maybe even more so in some cases than adults. I mentioned earlier some recent research that has given us more insight into just how useful probiotics can be for that overall ecosystem of wellness, but also just uh, how probiotics engage slightly differently with the gut and can build that healthy gut earlier and what some of the consequences are of that proactive probiotic action. Uh, so can you break that down for us and give our audience a little more context on that research? What has been some of that recent research that has highlighted the utility of probiotics for broader gut health? And what has the research revealed about some of the newer uh, potential applications for children specifically? Yeah, they, 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 there are, um, I think, right now many studies on the uh, use of different probiotic strains in children for different disease states, which is one part of the coin, disease states. But on the other hand, what you are asking right now is on the healthy uh, gut, or let's say uh, whether there is our probiotics uh, bringing something good to our health, not only in disease state, but as just uh, John provided uh, information, it has been shown with with different strains that uh, really beneficial microbiota is the thing that we are aiming for. So the this balance between the bad and the good uh, strains or let's say microorganisms that reside in our gut can be modified, can be modified with uh, some probiotics uh, on the market or in the research right now. And I, I'm sure John will tell you more about that. And these probiotics, even though they were not of the, let's say, they, they are only a single strain probiotics, they were somehow able to 
change the complete environment or ecology of the gut towards the, let's say, more beneficial or, let's say, better representation of the good uh, microorganisms uh, towards the bad ones. So these studies have been, some have been done in children also in very young children, aged two to six years uh, old, and they, the, there was a proof that uh, use of probiotic strains really can help. Now, whether this will have a, a long-term effect, it, it needs to be studied. But if, if certainly, if we know that they can change uh, the environment in early at early age uh, towards the better one. I'm sure this will uh, have long-term consequences, even way past adulthood, uh, and this is very important. Of course, maybe uh, this group of children that was studied right now in the last couple of years needs to be followed, and certainly it will be followed, but in 20 years, then we will be able to find really uh, many, many uh, final effects but you know these children will live 100 years maybe so whatever we are building at an early age we will then have at a later stage of our life yes i agree and i, I think that uh i mean there's a lot of factors i mean the the benefit of having probiotics um is that uh, you know uh, that there's uh a lot of good bacteria, you know exactly what they are, the dose that you can provide to provide the benefits uh, to the children. And and there's just a lot of variability, uh, whether it's a cesarean section, are you coming out of natural birth? Do you live in the city? Do you live on a farm? There's lots of things as you grow up influences your microbiome and it ends up setting your microbiome for its ability to handle various abilities for uh, or helps the host in, in, in many uh, different uh, aspects. And so, uh, and, and you're seeing that. Again, Ramnosis GG, there's a lot of studies on immunity and helping um, in terms of uh, dysentery and, and uh, occasional diarrhea, etc. Um, uh, there's plenty of probiotics out there for constipation. There's plenty of probiotic uh, benefits that actually help with uh, producing antioxidants um, so that it's uh, repairing uh, free radical damage that you get just from uh, everyday life such as uh, um, sunlight and things like that that you're exposed to that causes damage to your body. Um, there's a, a, a range of benefits and uh, you have your primary uh, probiotics, you have your lactobacillus, your bifidobacterium, lactobacillus are uh, primarily in the uh, small intestines, bifidobacterium uh, usually uh, are, play a large role in the large intestines, the health of the large intestines, and then of course you have uh, other uh, bacteria and, and yeast, Saccharomyces, uh, Boulardes, um, uh, cervicier can be very helpful as well. Um, there's physicians that prescribe those uh, for uh, their patients. Um, and it's basically just finding the right ones. Uh, Infantis is a great one for uh, children. Uh, in terms of lactobacillus, it produces lactic acid. It helps in terms of controlling the pH of the gut. It helps in terms of keeping uh, unwanted bacteria, especially gram negatives, in control. Um, and uh, basically giving you a, a much better, helping you digest things like dairy and, and various foods that um, uh, that are very important for the child to consume um, so that it helps them build up their, their bones and uh, helps them uh, in terms of their, uh, their growth. And um, so, yeah, um, uh, there's quite a few uh, probiotics out there uh, that have lots of research uh, behind them in terms of uh, helping produce um, everything from digestive enzymes uh, to priming the immune system uh, to helping in terms of antioxidants 
uh, to help repair and recover uh, in terms of uh, tissue damage and things like that that just occur from everyday exposure to environmental things. So digging a little deeper on, um, I guess, why this research is relevant, uh, let's intersect it with maybe some of the motivators that are pushing for the research or just some of the broader forces that are helping us re-understand uh, children's relationship with probiotics. So what are some of the leading health issues that children are facing today, just kind of in general? And if we want to localize it around some specific countries as well, because I know country to country, those health issues obviously vary drastically. So maybe uh, focusing around developed nations as well, like the US and some European nations, what are some of the leading health issues that children are facing today? And how much can a healthy gut assist in curbing any of those health issues intersect those trends for us? So, yeah, they are, you are really correct in saying that the health issues that children are facing are really different globally. But on the, let's say, if we, are, if we were right now on the Mars and looking from the Mars onto our little star, which would be slightly bluish, uh, this is our Earth, the, I think in children the major uh, problem are still infections. And one of the top killers of children uh, worldwide are gastrointestinal infections, yeah, you know, diarrhea, which will be like cholera, and it, it really it does kill children. And it doesn't just happen uh, in small numbers, it's huge numbers. And they, there are also other infections. But then this is because those countries, uh, highly populated countries, are still, let's say, in the developing phase and are not uh, really having sanitary uh, conditions that are now so common and so normal in the Western world or developed world. So in the developed world, you will be still having, in early childhood, you will be still having more than a couple of episodes of severe uh, gastrointestinal infection in their, let's say, preschool age. Certainly, they will be uh, having respiratory infections. So, infections are still very important and are uh, a huge burden, not only to the health of children, but also, let's say, for their parents, they are absent from work, they worry about their children, uh, so it, it, it has economic uh, consequences as well. Not only the hospital stays, which are expensive anyhow, but in developed world you will also have chronic diseases that are there. Previously you heard something about celiac disease, okay, non-celiac gluten sensitivity is another uh, uh, thing, but chronic diseases like IBD or asthma or Okay, allergies can be considered really a chronic uh, disease. So there is a, a certainly an important role that the gut has. Uh, I mean, for IBD, of course, you, this is where it happens in, in the gut. And it's always intriguing to think how we can either reverse once the effect or the disease is there, but it's even more important, is there a chance to prevent this? For infectious diseases, we are right now certain that for uh, gastrointestinal infections with the diarrhea, probiotics play uh, an important role. Of course, the most important role is in rehydration because children will die of dehydration. So probiotics cannot 
replace the rehydration therapy, but they can certainly help in reducing the number of uh, liquid stools, reducing the hospital stay, and really these are important things even in developed world. And they can, and they have been studied also in possible prevention of uh, allergic states. There are some intriguing data sometimes, but uh, it seems that the gut does play an important role. An early uh, introduction to food allergens can today even uh, prevent some allergies in, let's say, predisposed children from allergic families. For IBD, it's certainly it's a huge importance of uh, of gut interaction of its immune system with microbiome, and if we can somehow modify that, it certainly will help us. But then there are further implications because what our gut does, it does imp implicate our everyday life if we feel badly, but I I internally it does also have this uh, gut-brain axis effect that whatever happens in the gut, somehow it will uh, reflect in our brain. It's just, uh, it's not very simple, but certainly it does affect us through many ways, not only via neuronal way, but also our, uh, let's say, immunological way or our hormonal uh, mechanisms. It can affect really the gut it's very much important. It's it, it's really important to know that the good gut it's worth much more to a mankind than a good brain. Brain is important, but if you don't have a good gut, uh, brain doesn't help at all. Yeah, brain can't do much if the rest of the body can't give it the support it needs for clarity. I definitely see what you mean. Well, yes, I mean the nutrients that your brain needs. Uh, again, that comes from the gut. Uh, uh, the small intestines, 9% of the nutrients uh, that are absorbed occur there. Uh, your breakdown um, through the stomach, small uh, intestines and large intestines is, is uh, necessary for you to be able to take those building blocks, absorb them, and then uh, use those to, uh, uh, for, to build up your immune system, for your uh, brain functions um, across the board, muscle growth, uh, etc. Um, and uh, yeah, to, hit, um, to the doctor's point, um, uh, both in terms, especially in terms of infections, you want the good bacteria, the good uh, uh, microorganisms uh, to be there to help control when you come into contact with unwanted ones. I mean, that's where, you know, antibiotics, I mean, that's become a big issue when you wipe out the entire population. Uh, C. difficile and some others uh, will um, uh, take control because they, they were there before. Uh, they, they were just there in, in uh, small numbers and in, in numbers that they really couldn't do anything with. But when you wipe out the rest of the population, and in some cases that's good bacteria, now you've given it an opportunity uh, to uh, gain uh, control and, and have a prominent influence. And of course, that uh, causes lots of issues. And so uh, it, that's why it's very important uh, that your microbiome is balanced. And this goes back to, again, focusing on the children. It's very important that they uh, are constantly, uh, that they're constantly consuming good bacteria, good microorganisms, um, so that when, uh, if they do encounter uh, microorganisms, uh, bacteria that can cause infections, that can cause disruptions and imbalances in, in, the, uh, in the body, uh, that those bacteria, those good probiotics or good bacteria are there to suppress those uh, unwanted bacteria, to keep them in check, to keep them from doing anything. 
Um, and so, yes, I, I definitely agree. Uh, and then the other part is, uh, and I still go back to uh, uh, digestion and being able to help uh, uh, and being able to break down uh, nutrients um, so that uh, your body um, is able to absorb everything. And there's uh, amino acids and things like that your body can't make. Um, and um, the, there's uh, bacteria that are uh, that uh, can help uh, in, in terms of uh, producing uh, those nutrients, those essential amino acids, those essential nutrients uh, that your body needs to function. And malnutrition does occur um, in, in, in various locales and uh, is, is something that uh, for children it's very important that they are not, uh, that they are, uh, they find the nutrients that they need. Um, so especially when you're growing. So to start to tie all of this together, uh, it's becoming increasingly evident through some of the research we mentioned and just uh, over time, as we better understand our relationship to our gut and probiotics, that probiotic strains can greatly impact the bodily effect as well as the utility of any given probiotic. Basically, not every probiotic works the same, so it's important to understand which works best where, why, and then how to actually craft some scalable um, solutions and uh, some strategies as well for professionals as well as for end users. And this efficacy of product always comes down to well-designed clinical trials to really understand have we used the right strain and is this having the desired effect and why. So I'd like to break that aspect of the process down as we wrap up our podcast today. But could you both break down some of the factors that make for a successful probiotic clinical trial? How do you ensure strains are being accurately validated? Uh, just break down how you approach that process at Deerland and maybe just in general and maybe where some of the challenges are as well. Well, for us, yes. I mean, uh, we do double blind placebo-based randomized, the gold standard uh, clinicals. Um, uh, for children, I, I, again, you just want the... Um, the population, uh, the numbers uh, sufficient to have power to your study. And uh, you're looking at various endpoints, whether it's immunity, digestion, um, uh, antioxidant effects, things like that. Um, and making sure that, again, your delivery form is something that the, uh, that the children are going to um, uh, want to take, that they're going to, uh, to uh, take on time. And it, it's something that's uh, important uh, that you're able to um, to look at, um, you, you want to understand the mechanisms of the probiotics that you're using so that uh, you're formulating the correct um, combination so that it gives you the, um, the desired effect that you're looking for. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of research that's actually been done on probiotics. I mean, they've been studied for decades now. Uh, and you know a lot about uh, various lipobacillus, uh, such as rhamnosus and um, uh uh, and, and Fantas and things like that. And, and then, of course, uh, same thing with Bifidobacterium. There's lots of things with uh, Lactus, etc. cetera. Um, and it's basically um, uh, uh, combining uh, the benefits, the synergies between the, the probiotics so that you have a very strong formulation. And if you want, you can try to cover um, several a major area such as immunity, uh, you can look to uh, diversify a little bit and, and actually try to uh, look at um, several different areas such as immunity plus any uh, antioxidants or free radicals and things like that. Um, and it's uh, it's also important that are, are you looking for the small intestines, the large intestines, or are you looking for something that uh, handles uh, maybe 
Sabo or um, is looking for more of a um, uh, creating or producing more short chain fatty acids or lactic acid, things like that. Um, and so uh, that's usually what we try to do is uh, first we look at uh, the bacteria. Uh, what are what are their characteristics? What are the benefits that they provide to the host? And uh, create a formulation that covers as much as we possibly can and getting the strongest ones uh, that uh, show those effects. Uh, there's many different uh, probiotics that, for instance, that have antioxidants, uh, but some have better antioxidants. Some are actually exporting glutathione, which is a huge uh, uh, antioxidant that can handle many different types of free radicals uh, in the environment. So there's a fermentum that does that one. Uh, so you can combine and actually target ones that actually produce uh, your, um, uh, your active uh, in high levels. And so that, that can be very beneficial when you're putting together a formulation. Yeah, and if I, I may add here, it's also so very important for us, the clinicians, uh, to to have studies available that are really of high quality. It, it, it's very important that you have a trustful, uh, let's say, uh, trustful probiotic strain, and you need to have a trustful company that is producing such a strain and and really showing that they have a good quality, that they know exactly when they say we are using this strain, that this really is that strain with these effects. And then high quality studies, as you, we, we all agree, uh, double blind placebo controlled studies uh, need to be uh, performed. And if you, it's also important that if you find a no effect or maybe even negative effect, that you are willing to disclose these issues as well. because not all probiotic strains will work and you have to really find the ones that work the best and you have to be when you are including patients in the study you also have to be uh, really careful to design a study in a way that you will not uh, bias your results that you will not try or find a, a population that will probably benefit better than the other and then you will uh, maybe even uh, fake the results. It really needs to be carefully uh, designed that you exclude the patients that will their uh, data will somehow interfere with the end results and you will get either bad, better or worse results. You have to design uh, clinical outcomes. You have to really be uh, aware of what you can anticipate and really be in a prospective way studying these clinical outcomes but as well uh, as biochemical and immunological end results like maybe immunoglobulin levels or maybe the number of infections or the number of stools per day uh, but you have to really ahead of time uh, design it very well through a couple of rounds with all stakeholders, also including patients who really know what they feel the benefit is, including other stakeholders for maybe for medical uh, economists, the uh, hospitalization length is an important outcome. For me as a doctor, it's also very important, but for me it's, uh, uh, you know, maybe diarrheas per day and duration of treatment. For mother, is I don't know what is important for mother, but if you include all these uh, different people in really designing a very good study, then you are off to a good start and if you also have a good strain that you will test or you have if you have many then you will find the one that is uh, the best 
and after that you can really I, I'm not saying market it but you can provide scientific community with their results and they will trust your results and that's very very important for all the studies in probiotics exactly I, I mean one of the benefits that we do have now is the science is really caught up in terms of being able to identify the probiotics the bacteria that you're using if it's bifidobacterium infantis there's primers for that uh from uh, lactobacillus uh to um uh, bacillus uh your specific um strain um uh, and and uh, you can actually um, have the characteristics to make sure that that strain uh, is what it is. And, and then, of course, that you have the right um, quantity there as well. And so if you have a billion, you can you, you can count it and make sure that that's there at the end of the shelf life as well. It's not just at the very beginning when they first uh, uh, create the formulation uh, that either the uh, packaging overage or, or uh, whatever else is necessary. Uh, so that when they're taking it, that they're consuming it at the right dose and it's the right strain uh, and the right strain combination, etc. Um, so that uh, uh, what you formulated with, what you put together in the scientific rationale that you had to do that to begin with is actually in the product and you can you can prove that as exactly right. And then, of, of course, uh, as he mentioned, it's very important for the populations uh, and the people that you're actually doing the study with. If you're doing it with children, uh, that you have the right uh, age group, um, and that uh, you have it in a setting where that's that's the same setting that when you're trying to actually uh, provide to the rest of the uh, for the rest of the consumers that are actually going to consume the product in a in a normal setting that you're not. Uh, uh, preferentially um, setting up a situation where it's going to bias uh, the probiotic over the placebo and things like that. And of course, make sure you have a placebo because the placebo effect is a is a great effect. It is an amazing effect um, for uh, for everyone, um, and uh, we see that all the time. And it's always been impressive to me in terms of what the brain can um, uh, convince the body, uh, uh, and so. Uh, that that has to be taken um, into account as well. And last but not least, as we close the podcast, are there any differences in the uh, just broader clinical trial process that differs when you are testing for a children's probiotic versus uh, a regular or a, a grown adult? probiotic solution. Are there any major differences there in that testing process or any extra layers of oversight that you need to add? If so, what and uh, to what effect? Yeah, in children, I mean, you tend to be at, at least invasive as possible. Uh, I mean, you, you really want to be uh, non-invasive. In some adults, you can really uh, ask for many samples and you can really do a lot of, I mean, you can, I mean, you have to get ethical clearance, of course, and you have to show the benefits that you are seeking for. But in children, this is much more important. You also have parents and it's always very, very uh, important, you know, that the, the, if you are relying only on symptoms, these are so vague in children. Children usually react with limited number of symptoms and they in very small children cannot even describe their symptoms they only mothers their mothers see the discomfort and how their parents see the discomfort and how they can describe that it's very very tough even in adults in us it's sometimes very hard to distinguish different uh, symptoms that we are having and then uh, you know you have to be 
really careful if you are then ascribing these symptoms to a certain uh, stimulus. Uh, if on one side you have uh, a, a, let's say, drug and on the other hand, uh, hand you have placebo, you have to be careful and mothers should really also be very, very blinded for what the, we are giving. And also, uh, I, I told about the samples, but I think the, uh, it's also the, the thing is, if there is a possibility to do harm, uh, you are really, you have to be much more careful in children, because if there is even a slight possibility, you don't want to start with, with young children, because this will really have very bad effects uh, in the end. So first, probably you will test effect in adults, of course, after the tests in, uh, in vitro and with, probably with animals, then you will go for adults and then you will slowly go into the childhood. But effectively at the end, it always needs to be high quality, double blind, placebo controlled with a very good set of what you are looking for, the, the parameters that you will be testing and what you are giving and how you are really testing, as we heard previously from John, how you will be testing that really these drugs or this intervention was really done. And children, in children you will have um, probably more dropouts because... Uh, if, especially if it lasts for a long time, children don't want to swallow pills sometimes. After a couple of days, they initially they are very happy, enthusiastic, but then they will refuse. And maybe even in that setting, a parent will then uh, try to uh, make up some of the results. So in this respect, we must be even more careful in designing studies for children. But at the end, it is still old standard, golden standard, double-blind, placebo-controlled, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our D111 studies with children, uh, and and uh, we've done this in several countries, everyone, the ethical review, of course, uh, you always have to do, and, and they're very detailed. Um, uh, overall, it's always been adult and children. They've always been very detailed, but, of course, with children, it's an extra layer. Um as as uh, the doctor mentioned, delivery form is very important. That's, that's actually something that we had um, uh, we had to work through as well. Uh, we ended up using a chocolate stick pack because uh, 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 that actually went very well. Um, but yes, that's actually been uh, compliance has always been an issue. And that's actually <laughs> it's even an issue with adults, but children um, just as much or even more. Um, but uh, and then of course uh, the um, uh, as uh, the doctor mentioned, being able to, you, you can't be um, invasive. Uh, it's much less invasive. You can only pull um, so many samples. And, and, and like, for instance, we wanted to look at immunity in children, and we did immunity in adults. And of course, we could pull uh, lots of blood and everything in adults. Well, you can't do that with children. We couldn't uh, pull any blood. And uh, we could look at uh, salivary markers and things like that. And we looked at a, a occurrence and duration, um, and we were able to find results. But it wasn't on the level that we did with the adults because we saw with adults depriving the immune system, circulating immune markers. We could look at FOXP3, um, CD25, uh, things like that, the T cells, B cells, etc. In the adults, you can't get down to that level with the children. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, not quite as uh, detailed of a picture uh, can you get uh, in, in terms of what you're pulling from and being able to test directly. Um, you get some um, direction and things like that. We're able to, of course, take fecal and look at microbiome, et cetera, and we can see the shifts and whether or not we're getting um, it, it, it's appearing in the fecal and, and how is it uh, influencing the microbiome. We can see that with children. 
uh, but we can't see, um, it, we, we can't take um, uh, blood and things like that uh, that would give us a more, uh, a better look at the immune um, uh, state. Uh, but again, we were still able to get results, uh, but it wasn't to the, uh, it, it wasn't a, nowhere near as invasive. And so that's, that's been true in, in several of the clinicals that we've done. And every clinical that we've done with children has always been uh, different with adults. All right, John, Dr. Dolinshek, I think that about does it for our conversation today. So I'm just going to pose one last question here. Uh, Open-ended, any final thoughts on as we continue to approach children's probiotics, what some of the main strategies should be uh, for going to market, for um, creating uh, proper cl clinical trials around them, uh, or just what kind of uh, information should the industry be seeking to better understand the relationship between probiotics, children's gut health, any just final thoughts? Okay, if I'm the end user of the products that uh, the industry or scientific industry is developing, I, I can just say that I'm very happy that there is a lot of research ongoing that the results are more and more promising and the quality control is getting better and better. So what we are getting on the markets, on the markets of, uh, for our children, are really uh, very good end products. Not like maybe I was, I'm around for a while, but 20, 30 years ago when I started my career, uh, there were so many different uh, probiotics and people claiming that they were using probiotics but they weren't what they were sold uh, for so it's very uh, it's very encouraging for us that there are uh, many studies good quality studies and the new products are coming maybe even tailored products that will be focusing as we previously heard on maybe some on diarrhea but some on constipation or some products on the other pathology and they will help us in designing the the better or the best therapeutical uh, strategy and I, I hope that companies will not uh, withdraw due to the high uh, ethical restraints for pediatric studies so they will still uh, because pediatrics sometimes it's not a huge market uh, you know it, they at the age of 18 you end to be a pediatric patient you become adult and maybe the market for adults is much better you you can get much benefits for it financial benefits but the companies that are uh, working on pediatric we are really uh, thankful that they think about uh, our part of the population which actually shapes the population of the future. So I, I'm very happy to be around with those studies, to be involved in such studies and to be involved with people who care. Yes, I mean, I, I have two children. And so, uh, you know, kids, it's, it's very important um, uh, to me that uh, they're able, you see a lot of people, um, I mean, children now, they're, they're more prone to, um, uh, to have uh, more uh, allergies, uh, food allergies, uh, they're more prone to be uh, gluten sensitive, it seems. And uh, of course, with uh, antibiotic resistance on the rise, that affects uh, children when they uh, get infections and things like that. And so there's uh, ongoing things that I think that your microbiome can play a major uh, part of and have a major impact uh, in terms of um, 
the solution uh, or a, a major part of the solution to keeping you healthy, to keeping your children actually healthy, to keeping your children balanced and um, having the right ratios of, uh, of uh, good microorganisms that can be very beneficial uh, uh, to their body as they're developing. Um, and providing the right nutrients to them, helping them control uh, and, and prime their immune systems and helping them in recovery and, and, and building muscles and uh, a whole host of things that, uh, you, you, that your children go through as they're growing up. And um, it's, it should be one less worry for your kids. Uh, if you can provide a, 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 a product, a supplement uh, that they um, like taking gummies or soft chews or things like that, uh, or stick packs, uh, whatever it is, uh, that uh, you can get them to take it, and there's uh, and it can be very new, uh, uh, beneficial to them. I think that that's great. Um, whether or not they realize it or think about it being healthy for them, uh, as long as they're taking it, we know that it can be. And, and that's the part is to educate uh, the parents, the adults, um, and uh, that's where the research comes in. It's very vital that they're able to, uh, that the researchers, the scientists are able to uh, do the research uh, to provide the guidance for what the uh, parents, uh, the adults uh, should be uh, looking for and uh, making sure that they're, uh, uh, it's in their products when they're purchasing it for their kids to get the best uh, bang for their buck, the best benefits that they could possibly get. And on that note, I think we'll close out the podcast. Thank you again to both of our guests for your thought leadership. It's really been a pleasure getting to better understand how a healthy gut impacts children's health, how to properly approach building out a probiotic solution that is centered around children's health, and some of the broader shifts, whether those are research-focused or otherwise, that are shaping our approach to healthy guts. So thank you again to John Deaton, VP of Science and Technology at Deerland, as well as Dr. Yerne Dolinchek, who is serving in the Pediatric Gastroenterology and Nutrition Unit for the University Medical Center, Maribor. John, if folks want to find out more about uh, what Deerland is doing in this space, how can they get in touch? How can they learn more? Yes, uh, just uh, go to deerland.com um, uh, and you'll find... Uh, uh, contact information there, um, and you can, um, and or you can just call us. I'm more than happy to talk to you. Um, and uh, I, yeah, uh, and we're also um, uh, at conferences and things like that as well. And doctor, same question to you. If folks want to find out a little bit more about some of the research that you're doing in the probiotic space, how can they learn more or get in touch? Yeah, if they can get in touch with me if they can find my name. But when you say Yernay Dolinshek for everyone, that's very hard. So it, <laughs> uh, they can always find me and my uh, research on the PubMed. And of course, they can uh, also uh, find me at our University Medical Center of Maribor. And yes, jrnej.dolinsek uh, at uh, ukc. Uh, uh, minus mb.si it's my my mail however for the products i think uh, deerland will be much better than myself because they have a range and they have a range of studies they, they have performed perfect john dr dolinchek thank you again to both of you it's been a pleasure thank you thank you very much same it's been great talking with both of yeah. you 
Thank you. And thank you everyone for joining another episode of Digestible, a Deerland probiotics and enzymes podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're heading to our website, deerland.com, and subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. Bye.